Curiosity has to be one of the tools that an effective leader would need to have. It wouldn't just be a nice to have. It would almost be an essential component. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. What's the highest compliment you've ever received? It's an interesting question, right? The answer tells us so much about ourselves and what we value. Today's conversation comes out of a compliment. One, it turns out, I really valued. It's fall, and we're well into the school sports season. Every field is full, and you can hear the whistles and cheers almost anywhere in the county. It seems to me that being part of a team is its own kind of compliment, a way of saying, I'm with you, I trust you to show up in the way that you need to, when I need you to, and I love hearing the sounds of that support. I listen to those noises and I find myself wondering, is there a relationship there between cheering and whistles and coaching and success? What does teamwork sound like or or leadership for that matter? Some years ago, I participated in Leadership Arlington's signature program. It's a program designed to build relationships between business, government, and nonprofit leaders and to strengthen the Arlington community. And at the end of the year-long course, we did a kind of yearbook thing where we all wrote little notes to one another. Nothing big, just something we appreciated or admired. It was a nice exercise, and people said lovely things. The one I liked most on my page was the most thoughtful questions at each class day. I interpreted it to mean I was seen as an attentive listener, really paying attention to what people were saying and doing, wanting to understand better, respectful, interested. I loved that note. It was, in fact, exactly how I hoped I show up in the world. So a few weeks ago, I came across that page, and I was reminded how much the note had meant to me. So I reached out to the guy who had written it. We hadn't talked in more than two years. That guy is Scott Nickham, head of organizational effectiveness and performance at CSRA, a huge IT consultancy group based here in Falls Church. He's responsible for helping his colleagues craft strong and effective teams, build trust, deliver exceptional work. I imagine he's kind of like an internal executive coach. And I did the metaphoric math. He likes questions, plus he builds teams, equals he must know something about curiosity and leadership. So I asked him to join me for a conversation on those very things, and here he is. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Lynn. Great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. First, I really just want to say thank you for your note. It feels great to be told that you show up in the ways that you hope you are seen, Um And it makes me think you must be very good at your job. Well, thanks for the compliment back. (laughs) And I meant what I wrote on that yearbook page. And I think why it stood out to me is that questions today are becoming a rare commodity in Mm. the form of great, curious questions. We ask questions in this kind of call and response all day long, but they tend to be short, tactical, and seeking a single point of information. When I first reached out to you, you said you thought that curiosity was the thing that got you furthest in your own work. So how so? 
Well, if I can be candid out of the gate here, I think one of the reasons that became a strategy for me to navigate what I was doing is that my career path and the things that I've chosen to do over the last several years have been the result of finding the next step and being curious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fundamental piece of curiosity is entering into any situation feeling like you don't have all of the answers and that helpful and great information is going to be out there as long as you're open and your mind is uh, seeking some new you know new ways of thinking about mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and so I never really became an expert in anything and it turned out that I was all the while perhaps unconsciously sharpening the way that I thought of questions and trying to seek to understand other people's positions interesting and you you also said that you don't think asking questions is necessarily everyone's first instinct. Um, talk more about that because, I mean, I'm hearing you say that really is an issue in the workplace and you've sort of found a way around that. I think there's plenty of things in our society and in culture today where we value things like having the answer, mm-hmm. the right answer first, the first to raise your hand, um, you know, a perfect score on a quiz. And there's a place for that. I, I do think along the way, maybe as we progress through education, or find ourselves in jobs where we are looked to as an expert, or as we develop our careers over time, we think about ways that we can have the answers and have them to be credible on a subject. And sometimes uh, that is the necessary way to add value to your Mm -hmm. team or your organization. And sometimes that overworking that muscle atrophies the other muscle of asking a question first or having that be the first instinct, Mm -hmm. I think. There's a great line um, that I've used, I think, often in the show uh, um, from S. Leonard Rubinstein, who wrote, Curiosity is a willing, a proud, an eager confession of ignorance, which feels dangerous in the workplace today, right? It's not an easy thing to admit not knowing in the workplace, particularly for leaders. I mean, the context of this conversation. How do you help people with that? Well, I I have to relate to it myself. It can feel terrifying not to have the answer. And especially, uh, I think, in a leadership role, sometimes there is a perception, and I'm not sure that it's the right one to have approaching a leadership challenge or leading a team, is that when something gets hard or we, we reach an impasse, it's the leader's job to have the answer and lead the team out of the out of the darkness or the woods. Uh, So I think sometimes if that's the fundamental view of leadership, it becomes really hard to think of questions and potentially be uh, what we might say vulnerable, especially on stage. Because a leader's job, especially in a team setting, is to be on stage constantly. And so thinking about the optics of not having that answer is a a significant personal risk sometimes. And leaders face that every, every day. You know, it's interesting you, that you say that because um, when you last saw me, my my previous life, I was in a leadership role like that. And I I have been thinking of myself as kind of a recovering know-it-all. Like my job <laughs> as a chief operating officer for a national organization, and I'd been in that role and with the organization a long time, my job was to know it all. And in many respects, I did. I mean, I knew so much about the organization, but that's its own kind of trap for leaders, it seems to me. And, you know, in retrospect, kind of thinking back on that, I realize being curious, even when you feel like you know the answers, even when other people feel you know the answers, is 
is an important thing to do. It's kind of a gift to the situation. I, I think that scenario is exactly the one that if we have a moment to step back and reflect, we put a lot of emphasis and time on hiring the best people and choosing the best team. Mm -hmm. And sometimes unknowingly, we can undermine that because we do rush in or we're the first to speak if it's the opportunity to give an answer or provide some guidance or direction as the leader. And there are there are um, scores of great ideas sitting out there to be harvested amongst our team members. And sometimes all it takes is that open-ended, curious question that opens some new ideas and even sends a signal to the team that either when things get hard or where we have to be innovative or creative, which are buzzwords that are well used in any knowledge economy uh, position, regardless of what sector you work in, uh, when if that in, in, is indeed the currency, ideas, um, energy, and um, intrinsic motivation to do something better, I think the leader's job is to unleash that because, uh, you know, the, that's the source of carrying us more swiftly wherever our organizations need to go. So talk more about the role of curiosity in teamwork, because it seems like it would be really important. Yeah, the team environment is one that we talk about a lot in the world that I operate in most days. And that is that these uh, ideas around the culture of our team Mm. really send signals around what's normal, what's expected, what are the what are the operating rules of the environment that we spend our time in. And most things today are our team sports. I love the analogy about looking at the sports fields, even just driving over here. It feels like overnight that, um, you know, right? kids and high that schoolers year, have sprung right? <laughs> up uh, like out of the ground as seeds on the fields. And uh the analogy carries into the professional world just as well, too, is that the way the leader sets the tone and environment for the team, again, sends that signal to its team members to say, this is how we will operate to get the best performance that we can. And it's usually the source of ideas and the opportunity for people to take even their own risks and go out of their comfort zone. Maybe speak up if they're not the highest ranking person at the conference table or uh, share some hard feedback with a leader. If I'm sitting down on on the, on the project or the team a little bit further down on the totem pole, so to speak. Those are some ways that I think that teams start to differentiate good teams from great teams, you know, to use a bit of another cliche. But that gap between good and great often, I think, has to do with a level of curiosity and comfort that leaders have to transmit that to their teams that we will, we will take risks together. We'll discuss them rationally and explicitly. We'll be open about the risks that we want to take. But the value that comes from those kinds of conversations look very different than teams that either stifle or people that feel like they've got to retreat because it's just not the right environment to share their best. Yeah. So are there things, are there techniques or, I don't know, you know, protocols or tips that you give teams to work on those kinds of skills? Because if it isn't naturally an instinct... It's a muscle that has to get built. There have to be exercises or something. I think there are because in the broader sense of how to start tackling some of these issues around uh, teams and the environments we create, you know, if I use the term and we use it a lot, team dynamics, mm -hmm. what does it feel like? Can you? What's palpable in the air when we get together as this group of people who share a purpose or space together? And we have some exercises that we've done pretty successfully 
and I can't take credit for all of them, and I'm sure there might be some copyright issues with the names I'm about to share, but we did an exercise that's fairly effective, I think, with teams to help draw out what are the team dynamics. Mm. And it almost, uh, to use uh, an analogy, I guess, is holding a mirror to the the dynamics on the team by asking some questions about how we interact with each other. And we call it a gremlin and gizmo game. And it's based gremlin on the, and gizmo? Ooh, yeah, based I like on it already. the, the uh, may, some once derided and perhaps celebrated movie of the 80s, The Gremlins, uh-huh. where these monsters come out at night, the gremlins, and the way to to dilute their power is to shed light on them. And so that's the metaphor of thinking about when a dynamic is going on in the team that might feel less than healthy, how can leaders and team members say, wait a minute, that's not the way that we should be operating. What's behind that? Or what are some of the things that are making that acceptable on the team in our culture that we want to change? Uh And just the act of naming it, maybe there's not a solution evident uh, immediately, but it helps to bring to light and empower team members to start talking about to say, for example, in our meetings, we tend to interrupt one another. And the interrupting starts to stifle ideas or it gives power to people who talk the loudest or the most Mm -hmm. that simple insight could be really powerful for a team to start being much more aware of and then doing something about over the course of the the meetings it has or the way it sets up ground rules when it enters into discussions or any kind of forums where the team might meet interesting interesting so it's also it's also a strategy for kind of getting people to slow down, not just to react to the situation, but to kind of reflect, as you say, on it, or just sort of think about it a little bit, as I would say, you know, kind of be curious about it. It's like, what's actually going on here? Right. Curiosity can be a muscle that gets used to diagnose issues, whether you're serving a customer or a client or for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Again, holding the mirror to think about what are the ways that we're interacting and behaving and the bigger question is what's the impact is it having a a a negative impact or is it actually one of the strengths that we need to exploit even further to go to the next level of our team performing or delivering something Um, I'll, i'll say one other thing too there is that google did a study of its own teams and oh, I saw this. It was great coverage on this a couple of months ago, right? right. Yeah, talk about that. I caught it in the New York Times Magazine section yes. February. Yes. I had to look it up so I at least knew that it was somewhere in this year because the year has been a blur for most of us. Right, right. I will put that on Facebook. Thank you. That's yeah, a great That's sure. a great study. Well, they did a study, and of course, with the resources and ability to really dive in analytically, super analytically, to how their teams were operating, Google figured out there were some fairly basic things that its highest performing teams were doing relative to some of those that might have been, you know, at the mean mm-hmm. or or struggling. And it was the very simple fact of the amount of equal airtime of its team members and the consciousness not to interrupt one another. I think that tie back is uh, a direct link to the fact that there's a value of curiosity because letting that person finish his or her thought is, a, I think, a bedrock principle of the idea of offering something new and seeking to be understood by the rest of your team. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't I don't know how to attribute it, but my husband actually went to a leadership conference of some sort and he came back with a line that great leaders are self-aware, which he thought was such a great insight, you know, its own kind of self-awareness, but it sounds like great teams also are self-aware and intentional, I guess. There's an intentionality to all of this, isn't there? I think those are fairly 
important words to, yeah. to, to pause on for a moment, especially about leadership. And when we lead teams and we're on stage or on, uh, you know, on notice by those around us, especially in the leadership role, I think giving implicit permission to explore something, not have the answer immediately, or I, I'll uh, share that what my colleague and friend Felipia is wonderful at this. And she's been a mentor to me in so many ways around thinking of coaching leaders and being a leader herself. When someone shares an idea that takes her by surprise, she has, I think, such a wonderful way of saying, I need to sit with that for a minute. Mm. And it looks like at that moment, she is really putting aside all of her other ideas that maybe she was ready to offer, waiting for the next opening in the conversation. She's put that to the side and she's giving undivided attention to that person's idea. And she's exploring it. And it often comes back with a question from her mm -hmm. to the other person to say, what's behind that? Or can you tell me a little bit more about why that's important to you? And those are some really powerful questions that open up a dialogue and conversation in ways that you just can't imagine. And good things generally come from that kind of an exchange. Yeah, yeah. Even that, that sort of welcome mat of tell me more, you know, is such a great signal to somebody that you just said something that I'm like, it's worth, it's, it's compliment. It's a compliment, right? It's a way of sort of saying, I want to hear more of what you're thinking as opposed to, I know what I think. Whenever I talk, it's me just reiterating what I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's a, I think that's a really critical piece to another angle of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I was reminded coming into this conversation as I interviewed some of my friends to say, what do you think about when you hear curiosity and leadership? And uh, someone oh, said the root, the root word, the Latin derivation of the word curious is means to care. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a big link to trust building in our relationships. The act of asking a question out of care and out of truly seeking to understand the other is something that again is becoming rare because we're usually in a transactional mode to look for some key data point uh -huh. but really seeking to understand things like how is that impacting you um, what are your concerns about that what do you think could be better those questions feel so different in kind as as much as they feel like slightly different worded questions than we might normally mm -hmm. ask but mm -hmm. there's something about a sense of care that comes out of those questions because the motive for asking it is the focus on the other person, right? which is, a, right. I think, a key tenant to building trust. Wow. I have to sit and think about that. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I really think that uh, you and she are really on to something there. So what else did your friends and colleagues have to say? Or what else have you been thinking about this question of leadership and curiosity? Mm. Let me sit with that a minute, too, myself. You know, I think what it comes down to is rethinking or perhaps stepping back to reflect on what is the role of a leader at its heart. And I, I don't know if there's a topic in business that has been written about more than leadership. And sometimes it feels abstract and sometimes it feels like everyone has a theory or a short list of five things you need to do as a leader. I think what it comes down to is the ability to bring out the best in others to make things better using your role as a platform to do that uh -huh. in a broader in a broader sense whether it's in your your team your organization your community or some other group that you want to influence positively and there may be techniques and other mindsets to that come along with that but if that's the fundamental starting point 
I think curiosity has to be one of the tools that an effective leader would need to have. It wouldn't just be a nice to have. Right, it would right. almost be an essential component. And it would start, I think, some of the most effective leaders I've worked with and worked for spend as much time preparing for the questions they want to ask yeah. than the things they want to say or the agenda of a discussion. And another piece of advice I've taken along with me I'm mostly a curator of ideas. I'm not sure any of them are my own. Is that you can say more about what you know by the questions you ask mm -hmm. than the statements you make. And I believe that to be true in any setting, whether you're in a leadership role, a member of a team, or even just part of a volunteer group. The ability to really prepare by thinking about questions to engage in is, I think, separates people in a different way to have a bigger impact. Wow, thank you. So I can't stand the fact that we're like almost out of time yeah, here. Yeah, went fast. Um, uh, so there's one more thing that we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one you can't prepare for, right? This is my big jar of wannabe analogies. So I want you to reach in okay. and take a slip of paper out. Oh, and you're going to make an analogy to curiosity to whatever is on that slip of paper. And I'm going to take one for myself and one for our audience. So take a look, see what you got. Okay. What do you have? I have soft serve ice cream. What do you have? Soft serve ice cream. Well, it must be summer, <laughs> summer treat <laughs> analogy jar because I have saltwater taffy. Uh, oh, okay. So you want to go first? Or you want me to go? I'm curious to know, no pun intended, <laughs> if that's the topic of the day, what uh, you're thinking about. And okay. it's soft serve ice cream. Soft serve ice cream. Mm. Curiosity is like soft serve ice cream because it's something that you have to sort of dive into because uh, it'll get away from you <laughs> and it will get all over you as you are consuming it and it's such a pleasure to savor wow you've done this before <laughs> that was that was it great. is true. I have done a few of these, but each one is new. Go <laughs> ahead. I want to hear what you have. Okay. Saltwater taffy. Inspired by the visual you were painting with your analogy, I think saltwater taffy is actually a pretty easy one for me because uh -huh. it's a candy that if you try to eat too quickly, it gets stuck and you really don't get to taste the essence of it. I think oh. saltwater taffy, like curiosity, needs to sit with you for a while and kind of melt on your tongue. And the payoff is a different flavor profile, I think, than if you were to just try to bite and um, power your way through that little chunk of taffy. I love that. I will never eat saltwater taffy the same way. Thank you. That was great. Thanks. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the journey and the conversation. And I'm hoping actually it's maybe a little less than two years before we talk again. Yeah, I'd love to keep in touch. And thanks for bringing me to your your great show to talk about a topic that I, I think a lot about. And it gave me, I think, a new, a renewed sense of thinking about it for, for what I do and how I work with leaders and teams. Oh, great. Well, that's, that's kind of the whole point. Um, and audience, I forgot, you have an analogy too. Your word or your thing is... Nail polish. How is curiosity like nail polish? I'm glad I didn't get that one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You know, me too, actually. But I'm dying to hear what people come up with. <laughs> 
You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. And if you listened closely, you might have heard the telltale sounds of a film crew from WETA that was here doing a segment on WERA and our sister community radio station in Tacoma Park, WOWD. That segment is supposed to air on WETA Art sometime about now, so take a listen. And when all the cameras were off and the mics were shut down, one of the crew members who'd been curious about the show asked if he could do an analogy. And he pulled a slip from the jar, and it said butterfly. And he he thought about it for a moment, and then he said, curiosity is like a butterfly because at first it kind of inches along and and then it goes into this cocoon and it looks like nothing's really happening but there's this transformation and and then it emerges and it's this beautiful thing that flies around that's how curiosity is like a butterfly and i thought what a great analogy so thanks for that ed Are you curious about curiosity? Do you know something about curiosity? Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and Gmail. Choose to be curious. Special thanks to our guests, Scott Nickham, sound engineer Antonio Villaronga, and all of you cheerleaders out there. Don't forget to send us your nail polish analogy, hashtag analogy. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be exploring the role of basic research and curiosity-driven science with Kelly Faulkner from the National Science Foundation. Until then, choose to be curious.